0: Well, Pinks, I think a lot of people listening to last week's show want to know about the footwear. What was going on on the grid this week?
1: All oh, the footwear. I mean, the irony of the footwear. So I get myself some closed-toe shoes, but they've got a big heel on them, and I fall off the stage.
0: <laughs> really? Not really.
1: Really? I mean, I nearly broke my ankle. So, But oh. just as long as my toes were safe. Don't worry about the toes. Oh. The ankle's gone.
2: You need some of those climbing gear. You, cl- you know those things they wear when they do rock yeah, climbing? Yeah,
1: pi- um, ice picks. Then you won't fall off. No. No. Do
2: you mean? No,
1: what are but, they called? No, yeah,
2: you know, they do that freeform, freeform climbing. They kind of put their toes on very narrow edges and, oh. and, and, and cling on. Either that or Wellington boots. Good enough for Lewis, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Two weeks in a row he, he wore Wellington boots. Listen,
1: I actually stood up for Lewis this weekend because he was getting a bit of banter in and around the paddock. I love how he expresses himself through his clothes.
0: What well, His wellies.
1: Well, whatever he wants to wear.
0: Let him wear it. It's great. Nice. I oh, agree. Brings a bit more mm. character to the paddock. Nice. No, it's fantastic. We can't all wear chinos no. and polo shirts, can we? DH, I'm always reminded. Didn't you say on the pod once that you had to, you felt nervous about turning out wearing a T-shirt? Didn't you say that once? Oh, um,
2: I don't remember that, Tom. I I don't feel nervous. Oh, am I putting I could, words
0: into your mouth? You are, yeah, Damon, I
1: mean, what did you wear for the first ever Sky Sports broadcast in Australia?
2: Oh, I wore it. Uh, a lovely green jacket (laughs) but it was raining so it was a kind of olive green jacket and all I heard on the um, coming through my ears from the gallery from the producers gallery was uh, what the hell is he wearing (laughs) the chief of uh, Sky News or Sky Sports was there and uh, took exception to my jacket so I gave it to him at Christmas signed (laughs) At the, at the Christmas party. Nice. So that was not off to a good start, really. But um, that was my contribution to the fashion uh, world. But, um, you know, uh, since then, I've kind of toned it down a bit and, you know, gone for the
0: boring old colours, blue. Chinos and you know.
1: the polo shirt. Yeah,
0: yeah. Safe. That's me. Folks listening at home, that is the voice of Damon Hill. He's back with us this week. Yay! Yay! Can you officially start this week's pod for us, DH? Yeah, I can start.
2: So welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of uh, F1 Nation with Natalie Pinkham and Tom Clarkson. Right. Great to have the trio back, and we're going to dissect in forensic detail the last race because it was fascinating. We've got some unbelievable things that have happened in the last week. We've had Lewis Hamilton signing his contract with Mercedes, so we know what's happening at Mercedes for the next two years. There was big meetings going on down there about engines, weren't there? There were the heads of all the uh, motor companies that are involved in F1 and some that aren't involved in F1 that might be involved in the future. They were there for a big powwow
0: about engines. Guys, before we get into the nitty-gritty, I want to take this opportunity to issue an apology. Oh. And it's to the Salba Alfa Romeo people, because I was chatting to Fred Vasseur over the weekend, and I said to him fred the tuesday before this last race was a day off for everybody and i went and rode a motocross bike and it was brilliant red bull own everything as far as the eye can see around the red bull ring and i was up in some forest doing a 12 kilometer loop on this ktm and all the sauber guys were there and i was like they were going having a great time doing jumps and stuff like that and i said to fred fred did you guys enjoy riding the motocross bikes And he said, what do you mean they were riding the motocross bikes? And I went, uh, and he Uh said, they asked me if they could (laughs) ride the motocross bikes. And I told them that it was too dangerous and that they weren't allowed. Do you mean Kimmy? No, no. I think it's all the mechanics and the the mechanics and stuff like that. And and they've just gone and got a massive bollocking because of me. So to all the guys in Hinville who are riding those motorcycles, I'm sorry, you're not invited again, are you? No, no.
1: Glass snitch.
0: Yes, oh, yes. God. So that was that was orcs. DH, you would have enjoyed it, actually. It was really fun. I got very muddy and very sweaty. I'm sure Sky
2: wouldn't have worried if I'd broken my leg. It would have been good TV, <laughs> wouldn't it? You know, being able to turn up. What have you been doing? Oh, yeah, I've been an idiot on a motorbike. You're, you're lucky you survived that, Tom. I mean, when was the last time you were on a
0: motocross bike? Uh, I think with you, about 20 years ago in the desert in Dubai. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We did do We did do that.
1: The... <laughs> I don't know if you have seen on Kimmy's Instagram his son Robin, who is six and is incredible on this little motorbike. It's astonishing. I mean, he's going to be, isn't he? Because he's Kimmy's son, but totally fearless. And I showed my son, and now my son wants to give it a go because Robin's doing it. They're born oh. within a couple of weeks of each other. So no. he, anything Robin does, Wolf wants to
0: do too. How are you going to stop him, Pinks? I suppose just not, not give him the opportunity.
1: That's the problem, isn't it? expensive hobbies these kids have
0: exciting though
1: it is cool isn't it good to go out your comfort zone when you're young
2: except when you're watching your own kid yeah it's just it's different i mean when when my son started racing it's totally different when you're watching motor racing you watch a formula one race and you'll be going come on you could have taken more risks and everything and you watch your son going around you're going you know do you mind just going a bit slower there um (laughs) maybe just come into the pits
1: (laughs) Let's talk about the risks taken on track on Sunday. Can we please talk about some of the incidents that led to penalties? Because I know for a fact that you two will disagree with those five-second penalties being dished out.
0: Well, you start, Pinks. What did you make? Let's start with Lando Norris and Sergio Perez. What did you make of that? All
1: I know is, as a fan of the sport is I want to see wheel-to-wheel hard racing. And that's, I believe, what we saw. Sergio Perez now,
3: turn four, trying to go the long way side, his duel continues with Lando Norris as he now goes on to the gravel and he loses six or seven places as a result of that. That was not what Perez needed, he's down to 10.
1: I think a lot of fans will be disappointed that Lando was then penalised for that, which he actually believed cost him second place in the Grand Prix.
2: Because of the penalty. He's complaining about the penalty. So he, he he was racing in the way that he's grown up racing. You know, he did actually say somewhere that karting, everyone knows if you go around the outside, someone's going to lean on you and, and put you in the dirt. Well, I mean, is that right? You know, that's like saying if you get into the penalty box, you can trip someone up. I mean, I'm going to take a different tack and I'm going to see what happens because I actually also agree I like... Hard racing, and you can't really expect someone to give way if just because a guy is going around the outside. By the same token, I used to race against a certain driver called Michael Schumacher, and he used to do that to me. And there was an uproar when it happened in those days, but now it's changed. So the trend is towards people wanting to see action. Clearly, the fans want to see a bit of hard knock, you know, they want to see a bit of argy bargy. And so maybe time to change. But if you go back even further, if you put someone off into the dirt, you could kill them. It was very dangerous to do that. It's We have to make a decision whether or not... If, if, for example, it was made illegal to push someone wide on a corner, then Lando would have had to back off in the corner and make room for Sergio, who's on the outside. And then you might get closer racing. So the argument that it's good racing might not hold up, if you see what I mean, because actually if drivers can't push people off the road, it might mean that drivers have more opportunity to go around the outside.
0: But, Damon, their cars were not actually that close together. I didn't feel that Lando, uh, he didn't change the angle of his steering input, and Checo wasn't ahead. It was the first lap after the safety car as well, so it's going to be close, Mm. it's going to be hard. And we've seen in the past that going around the outside there is a risk. And if you're the person on the outside, you're the one taking the risk. And I think Checo should have just backed out. It's as simple as that. And I think, to, A, to give Lando a five-second penalty was hard, but to then give him two penalty points yeah, was just proof to me that it was doubly wrong and that the stewards had slightly misjudged the situation because...
1: He's up to 10 points now as well, isn't he? Yeah.
0: I mean, I think he loses two before Silverstone, but still 10 out of 12, and then he's on a race span. I just felt that was two guys who knew exactly what they were doing nothing that lando did was dangerous he you could argue you're arguing David, that he lent on him a bit well that's what racing is isn't it yeah
2: sure it is but i'm just trying to say imagine it was the other way imagine you brought the rules back so at the moment we're we're talking about track limits a lot and people losing lap times because of track limits and and they've started to accept drivers have started to accept that we can't just drive wide on the circuit and on the on the curbs and gain an advantage and it not and, and it be okay. So they're actually starting to apply tighter regulations to the track limits. What if they started to apply tighter regulations to the way people drove because I think that most people would argue if you if you allow people to run people off the track then you're just going to get chaos out there, aren't you? There is an argument to say that the tighter the regs can be on running wide when you've got a car on the outside of you the the better racing you're going to get because it means that somebody will try to go around the outside the driver on the inside has to make allowances for that so in other words if you get a car alongside going into a corner you've got to come out together not just one of you it's a different way of looking at the race. so if they're taking the sport in that direction it might mean it's it's taking away the, the the contact element in other words you contact is to be avoided but there was
0: no contact yesterday No, Sergio had to avoid contact. Take it back 12 months, Damon. Alex Albon, Lewis Hamilton, they made contact and Albon had got the pass done. And so I feel that five second penalty 100% deserved. This occasion, Perez hadn't got it done. There was no contact. He opted to run wide rather than, than get out of it with the throttle. That's just good hard racing. I mean, and, and the thing is, I don't think you can um, leave it in the hands of the stewards. I think it's unfair to put that emphasis on the stewards. Wind it back two races, Gasly and Norris at Paul Ricard. They had some hard racing, was pushed wide. There was no five second penalty. Then different stewards. So consistency is really hard.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, and I think that's the frustration actually for the fans and drivers alike is lack of consistency. Because if you knew that one rule applied week after week, then you'd know kind of what to drive to. Alonso was complaining about the same, wasn't he? That there Mm. just was a lack of consistency in the application of the rules.
0: In terms of dangerous driving and and deserving of penalty points, I thought what happened in qualifying, now that you mention Alonso Pinks, what happened in qualifying uh, when Sebastian Vettel balked Fernando at the end of Q2? I thought that was far more dangerous than anything we saw during the Grand Prix. I was chatting to the guys at Alpine and they said that When they're in the stewards room, they found out that Vettel was only told about Alonso getting close to him two seconds before Alonso got there. So he had no chance to react.
1: Yeah, but did you hear the team radio? Because Vettel did say, yeah, I know, I know. And then it's like he was caught napping or something. It was a bit weird because then he suddenly realised that Alonso was right there.
0: Yeah, because Alonso's, you know, it's the fastest bit of the track that, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Is that just a sort of a nuance of the track? Is that just a problem that we do have with that part of the track in Austria? Because Vettel, I noticed, was very apologetic to Fernando. And yet afterwards, he was really trying to justify his actions saying, look, I did what I had to do because people had overtaken me and then slowed right down. There was not much more I could do.
2: This is nothing new, nothing new with this. I mean, it goes back to the days when they had qualifying tyres. In fact, that's why they got rid of qualifying tyres. It's because you had people doing extremely slow outlaps while people were on a massively hot lap and fully committed. And the problem is with uh, with that circuit, the Red Bull Ring, is that it's a short lap. So there's really nowhere to hide. So, they, you know, they try as you might. The slower you go, the worse it is. So the more you try and keep out of the way the more you're obliged to maybe almost park on the track and the more the bigger the disparity between the guy on the hot lap and the slow lap. So actually, there should be a much higher minimum speed uh, for people going on the circuit. So you're not allowed to go below a certain speed, for example. So you, you can't do that. So once you leave the pits, you have to be committed to a, a faster lap. When people start to slow down on the circuit, you've got a problem. I mean, let's face it, if you've got a car parked on the track, they stop the race or bring out the safety car.
1: And you have to feel for Fernando. He actually thought he could have put it P5 or P6, were it not for that.
0: If you chat to the engineers, Pinks, they think further forward. They thought if he'd absolutely nailed it, P3 was possible on the grid.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, that's very encouraging signs for them. But when you consider that his teammate was all the way back in, what, P17?
0: Actually, fun little Fernando story, talking of his engineers. Before qualifying, one of his engineers, I'm not going to mention his name, took a £10 note and said, Fernando, if you can get through to Q3... With two sets of soft left, you can have this 10 pound note. So to do that, he needed to get through to Q2 with just one lap, one flying lap. And so, yes, he did do that, which meant he would have had the two sets of softs for Q3. But then, of course, the Vettel incident happened and he didn't actually get to do Q3. Everyone was angry in the team, frustrated. And then uh, Fernando just went up to this engineer and said, I still want the tenner. Give me the (laughs) tenner. Apparently he loves all those little
2: games, you know.
1: I bet I bet.
2: Uh, now he's—I just love Fernando. I think he's—he's he's so much smarter than most people out there. Mm.
1: And you're right. He does—he does treat it as a game, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, you can have all the money in the world. It's not mm, about that mm, for him.
0: Mm, mm. No. I, I delivered. Give me my tenner. You, you know. Yeah. 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 Now also, just—I have to
2: something. I'm getting flashbacks now of my experience of watching the whole episode. <laughs> I turn on the, the, uh, the national anthem for oh, yeah. the Austrian national anthem was fantastic I mean you know who was that band
1: Michael Grubinger
2: that is the way to do it you know some of the national anthems can be a bit dull sometimes I
1: know probably. but that was but like that proper, proper rocky was, wasn't it
2: proper punk rock version of the Austrian national anthem what a way to get it going
1: and what you didn't see on camera is that Johnny was playing air guitar <laughs> as it was doing and I was thinking just cut away show Johnny Herbert right now you would have loved it and those lunatics
2: coming there's people falling out of the sky with batsuits suits on and an aeroplane flies through the middle of them I mean I think the Austrians are I mean certainly the Red Bull crew are
0: fantastic they are they do it very well it was
1: a great show it was a great show and I think it was just a real celebration of fans coming back to the sport it was you felt the atmosphere from the minute you arrived at the track there was that sense of anticipation we're free we can go back and support live sport and we're gonna party hard. And it was yeah, it was it was quite moving to be honest.
2: And they got a sense of humour as well. Because yeah, I mean, do. obviously, Lando uh, has now become a kind of honorary Dutchman driving an orange car. So they, they get to support two teams. I, I thought it's brilliant.
1: It's smart actually from him to say afterwards, and these are just the best fans, and then you just wait for the reaction. <laughs> <laughs> Lapping it up. It's brilliant. Yeah. You don't have to go and garner support around the world. You as a young driver, really,
2: really great to see the fans back like that. It's a show, and the show it has to have the fans in it. It's just not a show otherwise. Well, it is a
0: show, but it's not complete. I, I was surprised how much I'd miss the fans. Actually, it was only when they were back. You go, God, yes. You really feel like this is an event.
1: Yeah, I've got goosebumps just thinking about Silverstone.
2: You're complaining, Tom, about the penalty that Lando got because he squeezed Sergio on the outside in a what some people think is a completely legitimate racing manoeuvre. Yeah, me, me, me. That was me. Yeah. yeah. And then, boot on the other foot corner, um, you've got Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc going around the, the fast...
0: Was it turn six? Yeah. The old Bosch curve. The old Osterradio. The old Adrian. Bosch curve, is it? Yeah, okay.
3: yeah. There goes Leclerc, out of turn three. Got a much better exit than Sergio Perez. And off to Perez. Picked up a five-second penalty. At this corner, a few laps ago, Leclerc's going to be going for it again. And Leclerc's going round the outside again, but this time he's not quite close enough. Tries to get Perez on the exit. This is going to carry on to turn five and six as well, because there's nothing to separate these two cars. round the outside goes Charles Leclerc. You don't overtake there, around the outside. And that's why Leclerc goes off into the gravel. And for the second, time trying to overtake Sergio Perez, loses ground by heading into the gravel.
2: Well, he it was a bit of Bish bash bosh going on, on that corner. Yeah. And uh and he did he certainly did but I don't think he had any option because he had you got to run wide a little bit, but then I'm I'm arguing against myself there. You're you are a little bit. Yeah.
0: So he had no option but to run him off the track. Once they'd given the five second penalty to Norris, they had to then penalise Perez for both of those incidents, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah, I felt Perez was a little bit more aggressive with Leclerc than Norris had been with Perez, but I I would have let them go if I'd been in the stewards room. But I could could sort of understand a little more why they they penalised those two, because Perez was hard. And he even apologised afterwards saying, that's not me, didn't he?
1: I saw that they both wanted to just draw a line under it and move on, which was quite nice, really, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, very grown up. I thought that was Mm. a good response. If that's the attitude of the drivers, then hey, what's the problem? Even Christian Horner didn't have an issue with what Lando Norris did to Perez as well. I think the thing is, Tom, you know, if
2: you go around the, I I agree with you. If you want to put your car in a vulnerable position on the outside of a corner, you've got to expect you're not going to be left any room. You know, that is, that's a racing instinct thing, isn't it? And it's a tremendous thing if you can go around the outside of someone, but it does require some cooperation. So in any overtaking situation, you require sometimes a little bit of compromise from the, the guy you're overtaking if he's on the inside. That's really where it comes down to driver etiquette or whatever. And if there's no love lost between two drivers, you're just going to get one guy putting the other guy on the wall. And then who will complain about that because, you know, this isn't banger racing. You know, this is supposed to be highly skilled And finally judged racing and using your judgment, not necessarily just using your car as a weapon. And, you know, when we see some situations and and certain drivers from a long time ago, you know, they use their car as weapons and that had to be stopped. So maybe instilling tighter regs on these things, you're actually getting drivers to think about whether they can or can't do that anymore. So it may be, I don't know if it's Michael Massey's objective to try and make the racing cleaner. I mean, it, this isn't Aussie V 8s
0: is it? You know, you, you've got, you haven't got door handles. You've got wheels that stick out. Michael Massey's initial mantra was he wanted to improve the racing, let the drivers race. That's what he said mm. when he first came in. Mm. And I feel that we're now just slightly going back on that. Anyway, there we go.
1: Talking of penalties, can we just talk about Raikkonen and Vettel at the very end? Strange incident.
0: Uh, There was a bit of an incident on the last lap, I think Vettel getting involved here as well in Räikkönen and Russell obviously just up and here's Vettel getting
3: the run on Räikkönen. Oh dear. Two very, very good friends as well. Good friends, former teammates and they might want to have a little chat about that at the end of this race. I wonder if Räikkönen's just been caught off guard. I don't think Vettel did anything wrong there to be honest. No. But well, he was ahead, wasn't he? No damage. Uh, they're just the cars. i will just need a, a fresh coat of paint for the next race, I would suspect.
1: And then you having to wait back all those hours, Tom, as 11 drivers were hauled in front of the stewards. It's kind of not how you want to end a Grand Prix Sunday, is it?
0: No. No, double-waved yellows. Who'd ignored it? Who hadn't? And actually most of... Certainly all the guys in the points who were brought in front of the stewards uh, were let off. I think Nikita Mazepin and Nicholas Latifi were the only two penalised for that. But it was an extraordinary incident between those two. Bear in mind, they're great mates from their Ferrari days of being teammates. But I think the pressure is now on Kimi because... part of the same conversation in which I dubbed all of the Sauber people in with Fred Vasseur I did ask him about Kimi and he just said he's got to do better in qualifying he said his race pace is fine but when you're starting 18th that makes no difference and uh, we need more from him and you just sensed him turning the screw and then he couldn't stop waxing lyrical about Theo Porcher who's in Formula 2 he couldn't stop waxing lyrical about the job Callum Eilott did in FP1 Friday as well so that incident will not have endeared Kemi to anyone, and he had to hold his hand up and he got penalized because he just sort of drove into Seb weirdly. It was a weird incident wasn't it Damon i mean it, was, it was. You never did that. I, i'm
2: sorry I mean at first when I saw him do it, I just thought that was kind of just he thought well i'm not letting him through i'm going to try and take him out <laughs> it was it was really odd and, and and the only thing I can say is that he'd previously nudged who was it who was it his front wing end plate uh, Touch someone else, but just a a few laps before as well. And I thought, well, maybe he just can't judge where the front of the car is, because you know, to do what happened with Seb was really bizarre. I mean, it was very—I don't know what happened there. I'm reminded of Mark Webber and and Sebastian going off at uh, in Turkey, was it? Yeah. When they when they collided, but you know, it was a little bit like that. It was Seb kind of maybe Seb ran across a little bit too early for Kimmy to appreciate what he was doing. But I mean, really. Two guys like that experience crashing into each other like that was at that
1: stage of the race as well. We thought it was all over. We were like, hang on a minute, what's going on? And then Yuki, do you think Yuki's mishaps are just rookie error? Do you think he's just still bedding in?
0: What do you think, Pinks? I mean, weird second weekend at that racetrack as well. It's not like it was the first time he'd been into the pit lane. And he
1: knows the track so well because he's raced there before many, many times. I
0: haven't listened back to the team radio, but I've been told that he claims the team hadn't told him after the the first inc- incident that he'd ah, gone wrong. Right. If that's the case, it would sort of explain what, why it happened a second time. But equally, why did it happen at all? Because yeah. he he, <laughs> he raced there last weekend.
1: Well, I feel we've moaned a lot so far about this race. I want to talk about all that's good and great about the racing on Sunday. First of all, let's talk about Max, because it was just dominant, wasn't it? All weekend, the clean sweep on Sunday, lights out to check checkered flag, never looked in doubt.
3: Max Verstappen at Paul Ricard and at the Styrian Grand Prix, he started on pole and he won from pole. The Dutch fans have come to Austria to see him win again. Uh, they came, they saw, he conquered. Max Verstappen wins the Austrian Grand Prix. Once again, he's crushed the opposition at the Red Bull Ring.
1: He's just in another class, isn't he, Damon?
2: Well, he's in another class, but so's the team. I mean, the team, are fan- that car is absolutely brilliant. Sergio is getting a bit closer, etching his way up, but the car is not, the car is not doing all the work, absolutely. You know, it's his natural ability. He, he actually very nearly missed out on pole position because Lando, if you looked at the replay back with Karen showing exactly where they were in relation to each other, Lando was ahead for most of that, except for the last corner. And he put that down. Lando said, well, that's because their car is better. So he was able to get the last, uh, Max was able to get the last corner right and actually gave him a huge advantage. So what he's saying is he drove better than Max did. But Max actually said he didn't think it was a particularly good lap. So he didn't, I thought Red Bull are getting to the point now where they're not showing their hand or their advantage unless it's absolutely necessary. And their advantage in the race was huge. I mean, you know, he, he just could fit in another pit stop over Mercedes. I mean, who would have said that a few races back that Red Bull will be
0: able to get to the end of the race and have a free pit stop? just to get the fastest lap.
1: Just to get the fastest lap and that extra point.
0: It was an amazing, amazing weekend by Red Bull uh, and the fact that they can mess up qualifying admit that they messed up Max was actually I don't know what he was like with you but he was actually really annoyed after qualifying he was taken pole taken pole yet he was angry because they messed it up he said Q3 absolute mess
1: well because he didn't he didn't like the fact that the team sent him out first and he gave Lando such a slipstream and so it's great to see that he's constantly pushing for perfection and that even on a sort of sub par day as he put it you can still put it on pole and you and your nearest title rivals back in p4 yeah. that Yeah.
0: is how big the advantage is how old is max is he 20 23
2: 23 right so if you were yeah. to see him talking in being interviewed you'd say this is guy's got to be 34 years old
1: yeah 100%. i mean his
2: maturity yeah. considering he's in the position of going for his first ever Formula One world title. The guy is cool as a cucumber. He's he's sharp when he comes to difficult questions. He comes back with a very sensible reply. He doesn't rise to the bait at all. I mean, really looking very formidable, you know, for his relative youth. But he has been in Formula One. Is it seventh season now? No,
0: six. What is it? It's it was
1: 2016 lot. when he won in... Barcelona
0: wasn't it so 15 was his first year wasn't it yeah that's when he won on his debut for Red Bull it's, it's like he's won championships before you, you you ask him a question after the race and say yeah. how much are you enjoying riding this wave of success and he goes I am enjoying it but we mustn't let up we've got to keep pushing we've got to yeah. keep driving home the advantage and really he's an old soul yeah yeah old head young shoulders well, I've said
2: it before, but we mustn't forget Honda's contribution as well, because they have done a fantastic job with this. Market. That
1: just makes me even more frustrated that they're leaving, Damon.
2: Well, it's such a shame, but um, they will leave their mark in some way. They're going to leave a, a legacy because it will be,
0: was it Red Bull powertrains or something is going to be called in the future. Guys, it's chassis and engine, though, because over these last three races, this triple header, Red Bull have introduced a new front wing, a new floor, a new rear wing, the new power unit. Everything is working in harmony there. All the while, Mercedes haven't introduced anything. They've got a bit coming, haven't they, for Silverstone? There's a bit coming for Silverstone.
1: A fair bit, a fair bit.
0: Yeah, like like
2: Johnny said, it's going to have to be a fair bit. (laughs) He signed off with that one. I mean, you know,
0: it will have to be a bit of a chunk. Tom, I think to to be able to take the fight. I think by when we do our post Silverstone podcast, I think we will have a very clear indication as to the direction of this world championship. If, If Red Bull are still dominant at Silverstone with Mercedes bringing this upgrade, then Max is looking very, very, very good, isn't he?
1: There's so much to celebrate about the weekend, George Russell. And I know he didn't finish in the points. But my God, he did well to defend and hang on in there. And, and his so quali.
0: And his quality. Oh,
1: his quali was amazing,
2: wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah I'm sorry if we've been a bit negative, but I mean, you know, there, <laughs> there was, we were talking about penalties and stuff, but he ended up getting asked, they looked, at, they looked at whether or not he defended too vigorously with Fernando Alonso, didn't they, in the race, and whether or not he'd ch- uh, changed lines or something. But eventually he had to give up his position, but not after. Outfoxing the old fox himself, with a few clever, you know, car positioning manoeuvres and, and keeping him back as long as he could. But ultimately it was to no avail. But he fought for that
0: point brilliantly. But DH, the key to it was that on the approach to Turn 4, which has caused so many problems, he had his car in a place that prevented Fernando from trying to go around the outside or the inside. He just judged it perfectly, lap after lap. I don't know if you saw something put out on the F1 Twitter account, but you could see from an on-car camera that when they got out of their cars in Park Fermi, Fernando called George, walked around to see him, and they hugged each other. That was just... Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. No, I didn't see yeah, that. Just ah, respect. Great. and And yeah. Fernando then came out later and said... I knew it was going to be really hard getting past George because he he's so good. And I felt sad yeah. he didn't get his point, but I'm afraid I have to do what I've got to do.
1: Yeah. And it was interesting because George was phlegmatic afterwards as well, because he was like, you know what? I enjoyed it. Plenty more of that to come, please. You know, rather than sort of wallowing in self-pity for the fact that he still hasn't got this first point for Williams. It's great. I, just, I love seeing the old versus the new guard. <laughs>
0: Do you
2: think that Fernando would have hugged him if he'd held on to 10th uh, place? Uh, maybe not.
0: <laughs> Actually, I think, I think Alonso 2.0 would have done. I think he is yeah, just I loving agree. Formula One at the minute. Yeah, it's all good. And to the extent that in the, in the press conference on Thursday, a bit of bants before the cameras were turned on, I said, what have you done between the two races? And he said, uh, he said oh, I, um, I stayed here. I stayed in the mountains. And um, I went for a bike ride. And I said, oh. That must have been hard work with all the hills. And he goes, no, no, no. At my age, you get an e-bike. <laughs> 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 He'd never had laughed like that back in the day. He'd never have sort of put himself down like that. So he's just, that's he's good. in great that's form, good. loving it and, and loving the battle. And
2: yeah. It's also intense when you're young, isn't
0: it? It was also quite
2: funny, I thought, with, uh, with George and, and Lando when they shook hands at the end of the race and, uh, and he, he shook his hand. He said, oh, you're a bit sweaty. And he said, that's champagne, mate. Yeah.
3: Oh, that, was a, that,
2: was a...
1: <laughs> that was a great comeback wasn't it oh yeah uh, it's good I, I you know on fernando i feel that he's grateful for this sort of new lease of life that coming back to the sport has offered him and he recognizes that he's not going to be in it forever and uh he he quite likes seeing the new talent coming through you know he was very supportive of Zhou when he stepped in for him in his car that was a lovely moment here's the young driver who's Looked up to Fernando. You know, there was this great photo of him waving his flag at the 2005 Chinese Grand Prix. Wow. And um,
2: so they're all And there, there he is
1: stepping in for him for yeah. the first practice session of the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, funnily enough, Guan Yu Zhou said to me, uh, Why well, he was just so helpful and, you know, gave me so much advice. And I was thinking, That's because he just wanted to crash his car. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's a little bit harsh. But, uh, you know, he, <laughs> it is true. He probably didn't want it. But I think, I think there is this generosity of spirit, you know, with, with uh, Fernando, yeah, which, de- which is absolutely. genuine. And that's, you know, he's a proper champion. I think I think Lewis is like that now as well. I think they, they have got to the point where they've, they've got enough in the bank to be able to, yeah. I don't mean money, I mean, you know, in terms of success and racing, it's to be able to it? give a bit back.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. With age yeah, comes really good, perspective. And Fernando was funny, actually, talking about he, he started doing track walks having not done them before in his career. And he started in um, Portugal. He did one in Portugal for the first time and finished in the points. So he thought, oh God, I better keep doing that then. So he's done one ever since and finished in the points. Every time he's finished in the points, he's done a track walk. So he just...
1: There you go. You see, suspicion is still there. What
2: about Danny Rick? What do we make of how he's responding? Because that was absolutely soul destroying after qualifying, wasn't it? I mean, having... Been identified as not as the weakest link, but certainly, you know, Danny has had some struggles getting the best out of his car. And then for your teammate to nearly put it on pole position in UB 14th. I mean, he recovered fantastically well with a great drive. But what is going on with his qualifying? Is, is there any, you know, what's he got to do? He's lost is something missing. He can't find it in that McLaren.
1: I feel that at least this triple header ended on a high for him. I mean, a relative high. You know, he did have a strong race. He did come through the field. He did some great overtakes. Talking to him yesterday on the stage, he was exhausted, mentally, physically exhausted. He needs a break now. And I think it's because he has been questioning everything. Why isn't this working? Why isn't this clicking for me? And I think perhaps taking a few days out, pressing the reset button, hopefully coming back strong at Silverstone. He loves Silverstone. He always drives well there. It'll be interesting to see how competitive that McLaren is. But Damon, as you say, I'm not sure anyone can answer the question as to why he hasn't nailed quali yet. Because he can't, the team can't.
2: I, I think it's really difficult if you come up against a mystery like this. I have had it a few times in my racing career, mostly towards the end, it has to be said, where the magic just suddenly disappears. And, you know, you can't work out what's going on. But, you know, he's still quite young, Danny, so it's not like the talent's disappeared. But definitely, we mentioned Kimi. You know, Lewis will be 38 by the time he stops. That was the age that uh, Alain Prost retired. But I think after 33 the magic starts to disappear, the magic bit. And that's the magic bit is the young guys have the magic bit, which they can't, they don't even know they've got, you know, they just got instinct. And then you get this blend of experience and knowledge and and that instinct. So
1: what's the sweet spot? What's the crossover? Because I thought you said it was about 33 was actually the prime age for performance because it was experience- with that kind of youthful exuberance
2: yeah I mean you can't you can't make you know firm rules about it because obviously fitness has a, a an impact and I, I'm sure that there might be a doctor maybe we can get to speak to someone on this show about you know what happens to your physiology um actually to make you lose your faculties or lose the things that you need to be a racing driver I don't know what they are but I can tell you that there's no two ways about it. It's going to go eventually. You can't keep going on forever. At
0: what point are we going to say, do you know what? Dan Rick is driving as well as he's ever driven. He's just up against a guy who is one of the best. Yeah. When are we actually going to start saying that? That Lando Norris I think is the real deal. And if he was within, Daniel was within uh, two tenths of him in qualifying. And maybe that is, is that the gap. You're echoing your namesake, Jeremy Clarkson tweeted is he the real deal? You know,
2: is Lando the real deal? And Zach replied with, um, "I'm saying he is," <laughs> which he well, clearly did that, quite, quite a while ago. Yeah. So, and the irony, I thought, was of course that um, Derek, who uh, Derek, uh, bless him, who, who was so into. Uh, this young driver programme, the BRDC Autosport, Star of Tomorrow thing, when Lando turned up, he just said, this guy's amazing. And he was raging about it. And then he gave him a five second penalty. But, <laughs> so that must have been tough uh, to do that. So, but I'm sure he's, he's you know, he's got a good reason. But Lando is very, very special. There's there's no doubt about it. And we're talking about George Russell as well. You know, we're talking about British drivers coming into the British Grand Prix. The future is definitely very bright.
1: Okay, so who for you is the more complete driver with the most potential George Russell or Lando Norris?
2: Flipping hell. You know, I don't want to have to choose the two because I think, I think but, that, the, sorry. But I think Lando's had the opportunity now to prove, as, as has George, you know, he's led Grand Prix. Both of them are just phenomenal. But I mean, you've got Lewis saying, what was that about? The radio communication. He's a, he's great, a great driver. driver.
1: But Lando Lando loved that. We played it back to him after the show, after the race, we played it to him and he like just beat his chest and was like, think, yes, Lewis. I, I mean, it's lovely to hear that,
0: isn't it? From your, from your rivals and someone like Lewis who's so accomplished. But Pinks, it gets better than that because I was told that in the pen, the TV pen, Lando arrived in the TV pen after the podium. Lewis stopped whatever interview he was doing went over to Lando, put his hand on his shoulder and said, hello, (laughs) Speedy Gonzalez." So not only was there the radio message, there was this big show in the TV as well. What is that all about? Well, you've
1: also got the same going on with Fernando Mm. and George. There's a bit of a sort of bromance developing there, isn't there? You know, Fernando almost felt guilty overtaking him at the end (laughs) and depriving him of that elusive first
0: point for Williams. But Pinks, on the subject of Lewis coming out with all this stuff, because... I think it's relevant because we're now discussing who is going to partner him at Mercedes. Toto Wolff has said it's either going to be Valtteri Bottas or George Russell. But is, I don't know, is, is Lewis bigging up Lando Norris just to raise a few questions in Toto's head oh. about... Because I think Lewis would love to have Valtteri Bottas next to him because he know he's a known quantity. Uh, and in fact, Valtteri did a very good race... Yesterday, didn't he, in Austria, because when it didn't work for Lewis after he had those aerodynamic issues, he was there to take the second place. But I'm just wondering if Lewis is bowling there's an ulterior a I don't know. It did seem strange, Tom.
2: Didn't that is the alternative interpretation, that there is no ulterior motive and that it was just a nice thing to do. There is that possibility. But you just... There is that as yeah. well. Tom's... He's there been is that as as well. too I'm long. There, he's he? seen it all before. He well, knows what they're like.
0: Wow. Well, I don't know. But DH, if you wanted to compliment a driver, why do you need to do it in front of all the TV cameras? Why can't you just do it away from the TV cameras? It would mean more, actually. It would feel more sincere, wouldn't it?
1: And actually, I would have loved it if Lewis had complimented George after he stepped in for him. At the end of last season, that would have been really big. And he was noticeably quiet. Mm.
2: Yeah. Well, the intrigue is, is, oh God, it's a
0: savoury one. But so who who would we sign if we're Toto Wolf? Who would we put alongside? Oh,
1: I'd definitely put George in.
0: I think it's done, Tom.
1: Damon thinks it's done. This is nothing against Valtteri because I think he's great. But there's just something so exciting about having George and Lewis
0: in the same team. Completely agree with that. And actually, if I was Valtteri Bottas... I think Williams is a good option next year. Yeah. Mercedes engine, Mercedes rear end. Look at the transformation that that team has gone through in the last three races. Yeah. They're now disappointed the old with P11. Back, back to where think, you were, Valtteri. Yeah, so I think, you know, if you're Valtteri Bottas, do you want to be Lewis' number two? I know officially he's not, but Lewis is number two again, or do you want to go and be the team leader at Williams? In what could be a good car?
1: It's a really good point, Tom. It's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And mould a team around him. You're good, TC, aren't you? (laughs) Clever. Clever chap. Uh, Should we talk Ferrari?
0: Oh, crikey. Yeah. I thought Carlos Sainz did very well at the weekend. Why did you say crikey? I say crikey because... They finished, what is it? They finished 5th and 8th, didn't they? I was kind of expecting a little bit more. Well. Pink's is getting her sheet of paper. Hang on now. a minute.
1: My excessive well, feel-
0: note. Why did you expect more when they qualified? No, no, coming into the weekend.
1: Outside, Oh, coming into the weekend. Okay, fine. Because that was the first time that neither driver had got through to Q3. Obviously, they were then promoted because of Vettel's penalty, then separated them. But they did have the free choice of tyres. I thought Signs did a great job going long on that first stint. And he was thrilling to watch at the end and to finish up P5 from starting 10th.
0: Pinks, yes to all of the above. I sorry, I meant coming into the weekend, I was expecting more. But I felt given the car that they had, they made all the right choices over the weekend. Not to qualify on the soft tyre. Absolutely the right and as a result they finished comfortably ahead of Aston Martin who did qualify on the soft tyre just to get into the top 10. I just thought the the C5, the softest compound Pirelli would have suited them a little more over one lap because we've seen them perform so well on the C5 tyre at other other racetracks this year but given that it wasn't hey they did they did a great job and Carlos is a wily old racing driver isn't he? He sort of does it by stealth I think quite a lot he's a real thinker and then Suddenly, at the end of the race, I find myself so often thinking, oh, my goodness, Carlos is fifth. Where where did that come from?
1: Yeah,
2: and I know what you mean. I'd like to know whether that was uh, Carlos's uh, strategy, race strategy, or whether it was Ferrari came up with it. I'll bet Carlos said, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a hard set on. I'm going to go as long as I can, and I'm going to be quick at the end. And it works. And I mean, that's the <laughs> that is the extraordinary thing about race strategies, isn't it? That actually you do have this option. Very few people go for that option because obviously if you qualify in the top 10, you've used up probably one of the softer options of the tyre. So you don't get those those things. But it's incredible how well you can do from the back with a long first stint and uh, being racy at the end. I mean, it's demoralising for drivers to be caught. So there's a kind of almost psychological factor when you're looking at a guy. who might be a long way back, but he's knocking two seconds a lap out of you at the end of a race it, uh, its uh, it's you know you're going to be got at some point so and it's also inspiring on the other hand it's inspiring to be quicker than everybody so you actually go faster because you're you're feeling faster because you are actually faster so you know it, psychologically it's a it's a really good tactic Although, of course, the science says the best thing is to do is qualify in pole position and just go into the distance and and don't look back. But I think the long first stint is a, is a really much more attractive option. I I feel uh, as a driver,
0: but particularly at the Red Bull Ring, when the top ten are all on the um, on, on the, the medium, medium or, or, or medium or soft.
1: Now, one person we haven't spoken that much about is Lewis Hamilton, and he predicted that Max was going to cruise to victory. He also talked about it being a damage limitation weekend. It was damage that he picked up. How significant do you believe that was, Tom? How much of an impact did that have on his race?
0: Well, massive impact because he was running second and finished fourth. And they had to swap see the two drivers, didn't they? Speaking to the engineers after the race, it was costing him about 0. 0.6, 0. 5. 0.6 per lap, which is huge on such a short lap. The damage being around what they call the cake tin at the rear of the car, which is sort of the rear uprights. So it was damage that he inflicted over the sausage curb at turn one. And I think the vibrations at turns nine and ten as well hadn't helped. Remember that they've had quite a few reliability issues at this track, Mercedes. Last year they had, was it an electrical loom that was causing them some distress and then in 2019 was it overheating they were suffering cooling issues yeah Yeah. so it hasn't been a straightforward racetrack for them and very much so that that was very much the case yesterday and I thought he was pretty deflated after the race just you know I think one of the reasons he's re-signed for two years is he can see the writing on the wall for this season I think somewhere in the back of his head he thinks this is over I need number eight are you serious I think so
1: Well, I do know what you mean, that he's like giving himself another chance of securing that eighth title. He went on record as saying that he was enjoying this fight so much. It sort of invigorated him and he wants more of the same.
0: Pinkle, he enjoyed it up to and including the Spanish Grand Prix. Right. Well, <laughs> his last win. Yeah, since, his last win. Since then it's been really hard. It's pretty
1: it? astonishing to think, Damon, he hasn't won since Spain.
2: I, I've got a conspiracy theory. <laughs> going oh here we, go, here. Here, here we go, here we go. You're as bad as Tom. Wow, what about what about Mercedes? They sit down and they go, um, well, we've got to come up with a snorter for twenty twenty two, new car and everything. So let's just not develop this car. Because if Lewis doesn't win the championship this year, he's going to want to stay. If he wins the championship, he might leave. Oh. With eight in the bag. Now, that is scurrilous and fiendish thinking. But um, I'm, I'm prepared to put my hand up and say I, I did think about that for a moment. But uh, I'm accusing Mercedes of, of doing something really fiendish. and, uh, and you see, and apologies. I'm not sure, apologies. Though, I'm not sure they I, I
1: feel they're so hungry yeah. for success. They wouldn't just throw away no exactly no it's, it's
2: just mad talk that is completely mad uh, forget that idea <laughs> but anyway i just maker. thought i'd throw it out there <laughs> and uh it is obviously nonsense um tom you're right choking yep. Uh, yep. but uh, yeah i'm actually tom is choking on my suggestion yes. there yeah um but um but anyway that, that little nasty thought crossed my mind being uh, being having watched formula one for a very long time and uh you know i, I just wonder you know they want to keep Lewis. But anyway if they lost I think they've got pick of the bunch because they've still got a great car. But um, we've got a new regulation change. So who knows what's going to happen next year?
1: And do you think this will be his last contract in Formula One? Do you think he will leave when he's 38 at the end of this next two-year deal?
2: I, I think it all comes down to whether you're enjoying it. And whether you're winning, you know that's that's with Lewis. That was Obviously, you said he was a bit down. I mean, he lost. He had terrible. It wasn't a much fun race going backwards and having to concede. Valt- you know, the position to Valtteri first. They say to <laughs> Valtteri, um, "Don't overtake Lewis." And then they changed their mind halfway through, or a lap later, where it was. And so was the right that thing. the right decision? Yeah, that was the right thing to do. Uh, you had to do that. They were under threat, and and Lewis couldn't hang on anymore because he lost thirty points or something of downforce, which is a lot.
1: Um, And at least they salvaged something from the weekend with Valtteri P2. Yes,
2: they're in the kind of damage limitation mode at the moment Mercedes.
0: But just to back up your argument, Damon, they could have done more to help Lewis. So let's say they hadn't swapped their two drivers yesterday. Norris would probably have overtaken and found his way through to P2 because Lewis was so slow. But Lewis would have finished third instead of fourth. Would he? Yeah. Okay. He would have, if they hadn't swapped the drivers and just told... Valtteri mm. to hold station. The worst case scenario was mm. that Lando Norris would have finished second and Lewis third, which is, would have given him more points for the championship. Yeah. So that's them engineering the loss of this world championship f- to keep Lewis for 2022. Yeah, there would have been quite a lot of fall <laughs> If Listen, <laughs> yeah,
2: there would have been a lot of fallout if Valtteri had been, you know, told to stay there and just tug along behind a car that's, well, three tenths of a second slower four tenths of a
0: second slower than than his car. How that car has improved over the last three races is nothing short of sensational. And as he said after the race, yeah, we've got an upgrade coming. It's the last upgrade. So it needs to be huge if it's going to have any impact on this world championship. And I think he knows in his heart of hearts.
1: Okay, so what can Mercedes do? Because I think Mercedes fans everywhere and indeed fans of the sport who want to see Wheel to wheel racing and the tightest possible fight and championship want to know how they're going to turn things around. Can you optimize a car? Can you really get more out of what you've currently got and not bring upgrades, Damon?
2: Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, sometimes it is, it is about adapting the car. When you've got very, very fine margins, which you do have at the Red Bull Ring, being such a short lap and with so few corners, then tiny differences make a difference. So, driver confidence is a big difference actually and that comes from finding the balance as we've discussed with Lando and Daniel you know, it could be that just dialing the driver into uh, the car and so those those fine tuning things are really important but don't forget we've got this ridiculously new Dramatic change to the whole qualifying format coming yes, up at Silverstone, so all things are uncertain at the moment in terms of. How qualifying. do you feel
1: but about that, Damon? As a driver, I how think, would you feel I think, going into that?
2: I think it's a it's a great idea to try something new. I think it's been quite well thought out. I think it will create interest. I think that Friday will be you'll be able to come out on on. Uh, you know, with, on the news with uh, you know in, new information that I think will be on a Friday night, which is quite often not the case at the moment. With with Fridays, a bit of a, a damn squib in terms of well, how it affects the race, nobody really knows. There's nothing definitive. But by Friday night, we'll have a pole position for the for the tomorrow's race, and so that will be, uh, I think good for promoting the sport and I think people will tune in. I think it's going to be a really big, a very interesting development in in Formula One.
1: Tom, for anyone who isn't clear as to what's happening, just run us through it, how it's going to work.
0: We're going to have qualifying on Friday, qualifying as we know it now. That will set the grid. Instead of FP2. We have one practice session before that.
1: Let's go in chronological order. Friday, Friday morning, go.
0: Right. Nothing on Friday morning. Nothing on Friday. (laughs) We're going to have one practice session. Then we go into qualifying on Friday and that will set the grid for sprint qualifying the following day. And the result of sprint qualifying will set the grid for the race on Sunday. I completely agree with Damon. I think it's a a fantastic idea. I've got one issue with it, which is that the driver who finishes the sprint qualifying race on Saturday will be credited with pole position. And I'm afraid I love quali and qualifying is about one banzai lap. And so I feel that the quality, the pole position man, is going to be the guy on Friday, not Saturday.
1: Do you think it gives the fans a bit more because they get to see and enjoy more competition throughout the weekend?
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. No, no, my only issue is it's a statistical thing that the, the person who sets the fastest one lap, the fastest lap of the weekend on Friday, assuming it's dry will not be the guy credited with pole position that will be the guy who's won the the sprint qualifying race on Saturday that's my only issue with it
1: I just picked this up thinking it was a pint of water and it's an old gin and tonic (laughs) that someone's left on the side it's flat warm gin and tonic from the weekend you don't
2: have to make excuses for us to we understand it's a bit
1: early for that isn't it
2: yeah a massive
1: (laughs) glug of warm gin and tonic (laughs)
2: Well, that's a good chat. I think it's been a good uh, debrief.
1: No, no, no. We are not going anywhere, Damon Hill, because the best bit of the show is yet to come. Oh. Which is, of course, Ask Damon.
2: They're going to be asking me more questions.
1: They are. Oh, probing. God.
0: OK, let's hear them. Hi, Damon. It's Chris from London in the UK here. I've seen many Formula One races in my time since I was a wee nipper back in the mid 90s. And one of the most memorable Grand Prix I've seen is seeing Lewis Hamilton be crowned world champion for the first time in 2008, which actually I watched in the same room as you in the BRDC, where a few people got invited for a special screening. But I wanted to ask you, what's the most memorable race you have experienced as a spectator, not necessarily a driver, but as a spectator sitting from home before your career, during your career? Thank you very much.
2: So, Chris asking me which is the most uh, memorable Grand Prix I've I've experienced as a spectator, and I would say that uh, some of the most important things, the things, that, the races that inspired me the most are. Probably center on Nigel Mansell, I think. So Brands Hatch, I remember, in 1985, I think. It was his first ever Grand Prix when I think it was the European Grand Prix. Tom is uh, statistically much more accurate than I am. It uh, might be able to remind me. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, yeah. So I was racing, I just started car racing. And uh, at the time, we hadn't had a, a British world champion since uh, 1976 with James Hunt. Um, so Nigel cracking is first grand prix win uh there at Hatch inspired me and i watched i stood at paddock bend outside a, a, a hospitality unit and I, I was watched i stood there rooted to the sport every single lap and looked at this speed trap thing they had going into paddock paddock bend and it was 185 miles oh. an hour going into oh. every lap uh and uh you know these are the turbocharged hondas and I actually got a chance to drive that car in Suzuka a few years ago with, with Sky and they set it up and I drove it with Honda. Oh, my God, what a brutal car that was. Anyway, so what an amazing, uplifting experience that was. You know, I got, you know, really inspired by, by watching that race. So,
0: yeah. I thought you might have said one of watching your dad win a race or something like that.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I was too, I wasn't really orientated towards thinking myself as a racing driver back then so my, it's what my dad did and I didn't really have so much it was so much more difficult to follow the sport in those days you know you stood at the track and you watched cars you didn't have screens to look at or you know the the communication was pretty difficult with just tannoys so I wasn't really aware when I was at a track when I was younger what, what how my dad was doing but I, I remember him winning the international trophy race at Silverstone in 1971 I think it was which is his last Formula One race, victory, but I was more interested in listening to Arsenal versus uh, Leeds, I think, in the FA Cup final on the radio. Um, so I just saw him go past and then I go back to the football. So, no, I, I wasn't terrible admission, but I wasn't so inspired by watching my dad race, but uh, more, more by Nigel. But they both had moustaches. Maybe there's a connection.
1: Right. Should we get the next question then?
2: Hello, this is Frank from San Francisco, California. Very much enjoying your podcast. And of course, the F1 season has been awesome this year. Um, I'm really pulling for my favorite, uh, Carlos Sainz. Beyond that, um, I'm curious, what's the oldest F1 car you've driven on a track? Um, very fascinated about the way the technology has changed and, and what maybe surprised you about the way uh, it handled and performed. i, I just really like to hear those insights thank you very much um and keep up the good work everybody it's been a great year so far
1: well that's actually a lovely question going into goodwood isn't it damon because you must have driven some
2: yeah old bangers <laughs> old
1: bangers. No, <laughs> some, some classic f1 cars there
2: uh it's fantastic i love the old history the old cars the evolution of formula one it's just fantastic when you go back and you get a chance as i'm lucky enough to have done to be be given these extremely valuable cars to to do a few laps. So I'm I think I have to say the oldest car I probably drove was an ERA at Silverstone. Uh Donnington actually, sorry. It was basically an engine on what looked like uh, just a a square frame with some wheels bolted on each corner. But it was one of the very early, obviously English racing cars that showed any success. So what year would that be, Tom? That's pre-war, isn't it? ERA? But um uh or Maybe it was... Po- no, actually, actually, Raymond Mays, wasn't it? Um, maybe it was early 50s, actually. Could have been. But uh, absolutely terrifying to drive because you've got nothing to stop you falling out. Uh, you have to hang on to the steering wheel and uh, there's no sides to the cockpit and also no seatbelts. And anyway, you feel like you're sitting on a bar stool. You're so high up. So, uh, but a great noise. The engine made absolutely a brilliant, a
0: brilliant noise. Which car do you wish you'd been able to drive from history?
2: I think probably that uh, beautiful uh, Mercedes that uh, Fangio used to drive and Moss used to drive probably would be one, 1955, is it? Or 196, um, right? Yeah. If you're listening, beautiful Mercedes. Cars. Or maybe one of those shark-nosed Ferraris. I mean, there's so many. They're beautiful. I've driven nearly all of my dad's cars, so one of the very early... Uh, oh, I've driven a Lotus. Yeah, the Lotus... Which Lotus uh, have you mean, driven? I think it was a nineteen fifty nine fifty eight. 58 car that was actually a formula two car and i've driven the first brm as well 1960 brm god listen to you so how many have you driven i've probably driven most of the brms in fact at goodwood i think i'm going to be driving a brm in the murray walker uh, celebration that they have got going on there but uh, so i'll get a chance to drive i should make a list i know martin brundle has got a very comprehensive list of every car he's ever driven which is probably a bit bigger than my list actually, he's but, driven a uh,
0: race winner from every decade of formula one yeah, Martin has.
2: Yeah, yeah. And he he, he, he he likes to drive them fast as well. He doesn't just go round. I mean, you know,
0: these he, he gives them some some stick have, well. so I, have I told you about the time I drove a race winner, guys? Did I ever tell you? Have I ever bored you with that?
1: No, but I feel like you're going to.
0: <laughs> I want to hear. I, I do actually want to hear, Tom. So early 2000s, British American Tobacco were doing a, a swapsie between Jacques Villeneuve and a guy called Dave Charlton, South African Formula One driver from the 70s and we had Emerson Fittipaldi's 1972 championship winning car at Valencia so they swapped Dave Charlton drove that year's current Formula One car and Jacques Villeneuve drove the Lotus 72 that David raced and they then said to me do you want to have a go so I was like yeah all right all right I'll have a go (laughs) I signed my life away don't bloody mind if I do (laughs) Signed my life away and lucky. You remember how Jacques Villeneuve always had oversized overalls. They were always too big for him. But he was quite Mm -hmm. small. He was small. But anyway, they managed to fit me. And in I got. And it was an absolute joy. Of course, I didn't drive it hard. But what really struck me was how sweet the whole thing was. I thought there would be a lot of travel in the steering or the gears or something. Absolutely sweet. And... Uh, Dave Charlton said it was like driving the car from 40 years ago he said it's just like it was back in the day it's amazing, amazing. The, that is how they look after the cars and how you know how, how good they are these old cars now the people who
2: own them are just they love them so they invest a lot of money they've got to have quite a lot of money to look yeah. after them but they, so they're actually sometimes better than they were back when they were built brand new <laughs> classic Team mm-hmm. Lotus I think we're
0: looking after this one
2: lovely, lovely stuff there There you go. San Francisco, Frank, thank you very much for that great question. If you have any more interesting questions, then we'd love to hear them and play them. And you have to send an audio recording to askdamonhill
0: at gmail.com.
1: What are you guys up to then for the rest of the day?
0: Well, Pinkle, I am about to go to the airport and i'm really excited about going home after three weeks on the road so that's me what about you
1: probably gonna go back to bed if i'm completely honest (laughs) i'm absolutely knackered (laughs) it has been a long triple header hasn't it and i'm thinking because the kids break up at the end of this week i may make the best and most out of them being at school right now which is to have a little sleep during the day and damon what are you doing for the rest of the day
2: um, I haven't got that far yet. I haven't thought about it. Oh <laughs> uh, God, it's been. Uh, i it usually involves some sort of dog walk. <laughs> We've got this dog who just needs walking. Oh, all the time. D- I mean, how so, I mean, uh, God, how
1: selfish is the dog to actually want to be walked?
2: Yeah, he wants feeding as no, well. No. Yeah, you that's know. nonstop. <laughs> no, the cat gets me up at five thirty. She's over there sleeping, but I'll probably do a bit of guitar practice, a bit of golf practice. You know, oh, there. what uh, a, lot I of hair. a Golf practice, yeah. golf, yeah. He's
0: golf he's practice, the dream. pinks. What about you? You, if the kids are at school, you need to get out on the golf course. I, again. D- I
1: do, I do, yeah, I do. All right, don't remind me, I do.
0: Are we going to have a bit of a team meet-up at Goodwood next weekend then? Goodwood Festival of Speed?
1: Yeah, yeah. We're going to be there, aren't we, Damon?
0: I am going to be there, yes. I, what do you mean I? I? I we, what... we,
1: we're the team, we're the team.
0: Okay, we're well, the team, we should meet up. Yes.
2: Uh, um, but are we allowed to meet up? That's what I don't understand yet about the whole, is it is it free for all, you can go anywhere and do anything or are we going to be kept in bubbles? No, I think we do have
1: to be, pretty strict actually because yeah. we've obviously got the British Grand Prix the following week we don't want a big outbreak in the paddock so it's going yeah. to be strict but it's going to be great to be back
0: well I think that is the end of the show let's end it with our customary mess <laughs> 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 who's going to start Natalie is going to do the
2: whole thing slickly and professionally as she does everything
1: um, okay just introducing Timo Werner Chelsea and Germany's goalkeeper. (laughs) Don't you think he looks like Max
0: Verstappenpinks? Did you find
1: that? I was too busy trying to recover from my error of calling him a keeper. What was that about? A complete space cadet moment. I'm a Chelsea fan, for goodness sake. I know exactly who he is, but I called him a keeper. And then, of course, I got loads of banter about the fact, well, you know, he hasn't been scoring many goals, but that's a bit harsh.
0: (laughs) What did he say, <laughs> Pinks? What did he say? To he you was so you he lovely.
1: He was so lovely. He was like, I don't even think he noticed, to be honest. But of course, everyone else did, including my husband and all my mates at home, going, "Pinks."
2: <laughs> oh well. Anyway, we won't, won't let you forget that. And uh, also, you called Paul Dresta Max as well in the show. But I'm <laughs> I did. I'm didn't. not. I'm not picking picking you apart here. So maybe maybe you're not the best person to sign us off.
1: <laughs> well, this has been an F1 podcast in association with Audio Boom. Or an audio boom podcast in association with Formula One. F1 Nation.
0: This is the podcast. It's a hard line.
2: It's the F1 Nation podcast in association with Formula One. And, no, not in association. (laughs) Produced by Formula One (laughs) in association with Audio Boom. (laughs) We got it right.
3: I'm sure we did. Somewhere in there. You nailed it, DH. DH.